Purposely Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. How's that? How is, that better? is that better? Um, no, not really. Ah, so you, I sound all weird, do I? Uh... A really warm welcome to episode 21 of Purposely Podcast, interviewing charity founder David Crossweller. Every year, over 800,000 children under five die from some form of diarrhea-based disease. David set up Sanitation First to help change that. Their EcoSan toilets, yes, toilets, that's what they do, has transformed the lives of over 350,000 people globally. And the incredible thing is that they're a really small charity operating out of the southwest of England in Wiltshire. You really enjoy the conversation I had with David. Welcome to tonight's guest, David Crossweller. I say tonight, but actually it's morning for him and it's evening for me. David, are you, you in Bath and North uh, Somerset? I, I live in between. Uh, yeah, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Uh, yes, I... Um, I live in between Bath and Salisbury, and like many other people around the world, uh, the office is a thing of the past, and I'm working from home. Working from home. Um, David and I have known each other, I think, for something like six or seven years. We, we met um, when we both, well, David still and I still work in the charity sector, um, and we talked toilets in Sirencester. Realisation that dirty water, infected water, is um is a is a killer. Is that was that that was a realization? Yes, and it, well, there's. I think life is a series of realizations, isn't it? Um, so being in Zambia and providing clean water, and um, and at one point we I had been to this. Uh, I think they're called the Sisters of Charity, uh, which was the organisation set up by Mother Teresa. So we'd been, we were in, uh, I was in Lusaka and we were invited to go and visit this home that they had set up for people who were really suffering from HIV AIDS. And it was probably, actually, I'll tell you about the whole day because I think the whole day will give you some idea as to my state of mind at the end of it and you can choose to keep it all or to edit it or do whatever. So um, first thing in the morning, we'd gone to um, a hostel for boys, um, young boys, who, and the person who was running it was telling us that a lot of the boys slept on the street. And because they had no way of, um, of feeding themselves, a lot of them were being abused. So... And, and that was, you know, it's the reality, it's the close-up reality of, of what you experience. And from there, we went to the hospital and met the guy who ran the hospital. And I walked around the whole hospital, ended up at the children's ward, and I opened um, the book which showed all the admissions. And I said, oh, look, so on this day, you had... Forgive me, I can't remember the exact figure, but, you know, you will understand the principle of what I'm saying. But they, 
there was this book and it had a hundred entries. And and then through some of them there were red lines. And I said, Oh, these are the ones that have been discharged. And they said, No, these are the ones that died. Oh, shocking. And and it was about a third of them. It wasn't so much, you know, because you expect it, you're in a hospital, death, life and death is part of a hospital. And um, but it was just the sheer quantity. And then we were going to this Mother Teresa Center. And so they walked me around and right at the back of the, the compound, there was something, it was about, it's half a, an airline, airplane hangar. And I walked in through the door and there were all these men just lying on um, cots, beds, you know, just a, a metal frame with some material over. And some of them looked relatively alert. Some of them, you looked in their eyes and you knew that, they weren't there for very long and it was it was you know you 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 knew that the majority of the people were going to be dead within a day to six months you know it was it was that stark and then you went out of that room and you went into out, out of that part and you went into the next part and it was all women and it was exactly the same and people are looking at you and and quite rightly saying why are you here? What are you trying to get from being here and to see our suffering? And it was just such an overwhelming experience. I went back to where I was staying and I think I cried yeah. for an hour. I, it was so distressing just to, to watch it. And, and so sort of I came back and, and we redoubled our efforts to do more and we, 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 we did more wells. And Mother Teresa... The, the facility had asked if we would put some toilets in and we never built toilets and I'd never considered toilets. You know, they were just not on my horizon. And so we built what was a traditional communal pit toilet for them. And, um, and, and so I was, we were built, we were doing wells, we were building toilets. We, you know, that's what. And we when did. you say building in the early days was, you know, literally getting your hands dirty, like, I, it's it's never that's never been our um, our way of doing it. Um, I'm I I don't believe that um, the nice white man going over and digging digging holes and laying bricks is the answer. There are local people; they need the work. The economy lead, needs the money. So how um, how did your because so, that's because what you just described is is a really good, sophisticated approach to like effectively international development. So you didn't learn the hard way. There wasn't there wasn't sort of mistakes at the beginning that you thought that changed the way you did things. Did you have the kind of realization of the right way of doing things from early early on? Well, yes, and and like um, I th I think we we've always worked on the premise. Um, know what <laughs> we we speaking about this before the podcast know what you're good at and um if a man is a bricklayer and he's a good bricklayer then give him a job you know that helps so many more people so we we are we've been very fortunate um except for one or two occasions and i'll share one of those stories with you a bit later if you like of finding organizations that um have good infrastructure on the ground and there are many of them and yes there are some who try and take advantage but 
we've always been of the we've always always had an attitude that if you find the good organization you hold on to them for dear life absolutely and of course boxing day 2004 the asian tsunami smashed into sri lanka and killed probably at least quarter of a million people Uh, andy family lots of friends were caught up in that particular disaster and all came back with their own personal stories gosh many of which really you know some of which are just just miraculous you know and i I don't use that word lightly you know there were some astonishing things that happened um but because of that uh they came back with a real determined effort that we were going to do something to help rebuild people's lives in sri lanka and to to try and put this into perspective um I was. I still had four jobs, uh, including the one with the charity. I was still quite comfortable in how I was living. Um, and from 2005 to 2006, our income went up to about half a million pounds, whereas beforehand it had been about a third of that. And I was running this from my living room. Gosh. And mm. so... We- we were having a, you know, I was having a great time because, as I mentioned earlier, I, I love being busy and I love being, I love being busy where I'm helping other people. And one of the things we did in Sri Lanka, what we did, we built um, approximately 160 houses. Uh, we worked with CAFOD. CAFOD were very good with it to us. We, they wanted to build some, uh, some houses and they basically subcontracted it to us. And we found the people on the ground to build, as, as we've done historically, and uh, built 160-plus houses, uh, did other work as well um, that is not quite as glamorous, if you like, as building um, uh, houses. But I've had, a, I've had a very long-term love affair with India, and I first went there when I was in my mid-20s, um, and... And, and just adore the country. And so while we were looking at what was going on in uh, Sri Lanka, I said I would be quite interested in looking to see what was going on in the southeast coast of India. And we've done a few things in India, you know, through for people we know. I have a lot of friends who are of Indian descent um, and decided that we would make a trip to India. I would go down to Tamil Nadu and uh, just see what the damage was. And we were introduced to a really good organization. And I said to the guy, okay, what can we do? And he laughed at me, he said, David, look, to be perfectly honest, there are people being given boats who've never had a boat in their life and they've never been on the water. And they've gone from sometimes having two or three boats because different agencies are just giving money away as though it's uh, it's just ridiculous. <clears throat> he said, but there's two things. He said, one, a lot of pregnant women um, were swallowed salt water and the doctors don't know what the impact would be on the babies they were carrying. And we'd like to give them just a very simple procedure. That's the wrong word. Um, a very, um, we would like to supply them with um, not just good food, 
vitamins, supplements, etc., for the duration of their their pregnancy, but also for the babies to have multivitamins, etc., good food for a year afterwards. And I said, well, that sounds fantastic. How many are we doing? We did something like, I can't remember, seven or 800 women and their pregnant women and subsequently their children. Mm. Um, and so that was a really nice piece of work to do. And I said, okay, well, that's good. We can do that. We've got the money. We paid for that project. Um, anything else? And he said, well, there is something that we're looking at. And I said, what? Tell me. He said, well, we want to build some toilets at a school but also within a village, and it's a combination of what are called urine-diverting dry toilets and also some biogas. And I said, show me. And so he showed me the village. We raised the money back in the UK. They did the project. I went back to see the, the, the project when it was finished. And I can recall standing, looking at the project and feeling really good about it. And in fact, the school toilet is still functioning to this day, right. 15 years later yeah. uh, and he turned to me and he said David you think you're just giving people toilets and I said yeah that's right he said you'll see and that's all he said and and then let me think about it and of course within a couple of years I understood that what he was talking about you know, there was than just giving people toilets you know? David now talks about the effect COVID-19 and the pandemic has had on the charity and also the people they help. He also talks about the impending water crisis globally and how he sees the future of his organisation. Enjoy. COVID done to affect the, the work that you guys are doing on a really practical level and then, and then what's done in terms of your fundraising? Because you guys have been great at um making something very unsexy fundable which i think is hugely uh rare you know like you've and you've done that through storytelling and connecting people to the ultimate cause but yeah covid19 what's the effect on your service delivery and, and also on you guys it's been a nightmare to be perfectly honest um like uh from a we we, we are not a traditional charity. It's very rare that we get money from institutional funding. We don't tick the boxes. Um, we, we're not very good at research. You know, no, and I'm not, this isn't, this isn't me dissing a whole group of people. You know, Andy and I aren't researchers. We're not people who... Um, have come along uh, from a, 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 a social background, if you wish. We were we were all in. We were both in business, um, and so we talk to people. And a lot of our money has come from reasonably well-off people up to very well-off people. And because of the uncertainty uncertainty that surrounds the economies of the world. Our funding this year has not been great. That, to be perfectly honest, uh, it's not been great at all. Um, the, one of the problems that we've also faced, of course, is in India, the place was just closed down. People, could, We've got two types of toilet, really. We do rural toilets and urban toilets. 
our rural toilets are generally standalone. They don't need any interaction with external sources at all. Our urban toilets, we have a collection service and our collection service hasn't been able to operate. Um, it's just now starting to operate. But one of the good things about this is that our users have actually started to um, started to change containers themselves and just store them to one side because naturally human um, fecal matter will compost um, with with no involvement from human beings at all. You add a little bit of ash to help the organic process, but it, it nature will naturally compost it. So so this has there is no two ways that it's caused us a major problem. And the, I think for me, one of the biggest issues is that and I, and, I, and I make no secret of the fact that I think huge amounts of money have been wasted in development aid over the last 15, 20 years. But even though, in my opinion, it's been wasted, there has still been huge progress in people's standard of living around the world. Now, the problem is, uh, and I think that I saw a very clever little line that in 25 weeks, the development world has been set back 25 years. And in terms of um, food supplies uh, and the work that you're talking about, um, the knock-on effects, uh, and I'm not surprised at that statistic you said, actually, around the 25 weeks, um, scary stuff. Uh, but you guys are going to keep on doing what you're doing and, and you've got, you know, when, when we're sort of come out of this COVID nightmare, um, you guys are ready to keep charging at it? Oh, no, absolutely. We won't stop what we're doing because we've, we've slightly changed for the moment. We've got um, a simple hand-washing facility that, um, uh, which is like a mobile hand-washing facility made out of an oil drum. And we, we're actually pitching people that at the moment because this is for schools mainly, uh, for children to be able to wash their hands. Uh, a lot of schools, like they don't have toilets, they don't have washrooms. So, you know, they've got no facility for washing their hands. So we've been promoting that among our donors. Um, so that will, we'll do that in the short term. In the longer term, um, we're looking at ways... We're, we're very much, it's, a, it's an overused word, actually, uh, a holistic, you know, as complete solutions. And we're very keen on this. We're very keen on something like when you look at a toilet, a toilet, okay, it, it's a toilet. Our toilets are water saving. They give you the, the output gives you compost and fertilizer for agriculture, which will, let's say, sustain crop yields without using chemical fertilizers. Then you get, give people good health. They, they got good health because they, 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 you know, they're not going to the toilet in an open field. Um, it's not polluting water. Um, they're not using as much water in the, the toilet if they're using any at all. Um, it means that because they're not ill, they can go to work, um, they can earn more money. And we've actually got, again, it's local figures from from work that we've done, where we're showing that some of the people who are using our toilets in Pondicherry, they've got between 20 and 25% increase in their salary 
because they're able to go to work more often. Children are saying they're able to go to school more often because they're not ill. And these are the things that are so difficult to quantify. So we're really looking at how we can round that off more with regards to what can we do with our compost and fertilizer? How can we utilize that to basically show people that we're not just building toilets, we're putting goodness back into the soil. What benefits uh, can that have? There's a whole thing at the moment about biochar and carbon sequestration. And we are looking at how we can mix our compost and our uh, the urine with uh, biochar to create a much uh, better quality and long lasting and um, slow release fertilizer. So, yeah. So there's lots of things that we're trying to do to improve our pitch with regards to why people should fund us building toilets and we will continue doing it as long as people are out there saying well i'll give you a few quid to to build toilets and because exponential um you know impact what you just talked about you've got you know you you raise you you gather together resources you you match it with know-how and experience and sitting here it strikes me that actually the know-how and the experience when we're all social distancing could be hugely um tradable commodity you know like you can not that you're going to try and make money off the back of it but you know like spreading knowledge and know-how across the world and and, in this time is is that area of focus for you guys it's something we've never done uh, not very much. We've, we've done some consultancy work. Uh, we did some for Tata, actually, in India. Um, and we've, oh, actually, we did some, <laughs> oh, actually, um, we did some for the Gates Foundation as a subcontractor as well. Um, so we've done bits and pieces, but it's not something we've really focused on. You know, I think if, if you knew Andy and I as people, we are very hands-on people. And we like implementing. That's what drives us. Yeah. It's what drives our donors mainly, you know, the fact that they we, we have donors who don't necessarily say, well, I want to see all the facts and figures and the data and all the rest of it. We take a lot of our donors out to see projects that they funded, you know, and we're really happy to do that so that they can see actually my money went from here and it's ended up here and it's helped these one, two, three, four, five hundred children or whatever the number may be. Yeah. And that's what I think makes us tick as a, as a, uh, as a, you know, Andy and I, we, we, we're still, you can, we're still the drivers behind the organization, even though we have other really fantastic trustees. And uh, so, but that's what makes us tick. It's what we're good at. And even now, as we're looking at what we can do next, it's how do we implement that? How do we make that work so that other people can come along and say, oh, that's a really good idea. You know, we could do that. You know, and to try and put this in perspective, the type of toilets that we construct, the UDDTs, the largest, um, the largest group of UDDTs that are built anywhere in the world are in C- South Africa outside of Durban. It's a place called Ethekwini, and they have built somewhere in the region of 75,000 UDDTs. Second on the list is us, and we've probably built five and a half thousand. Wow. So mm. the, to say that we, as 
little sanitation first and we are little sanitation first um, are the second constructor of UDDTs in the world is just astonishing but we believe in them if somebody said to me David our, our, our lives have changed we're putting a UDDT up in your back garden or attached to your house I could live with that and I, I wouldn't want somebody to have to use a toilet that I wouldn't be prepared to use myself. Yeah, that's been your driving force, and, and I think that's that's fantastic. What? So you just you just touched on it, but your you know your two founders, co-founders, you weren't trying to um, build a a big organization. You know, you, you just talked about getting jobs done and and being impactful. You know, you want it to go beyond you. Um, what, what in terms of transition to, to to other people, welcoming people into the organisation? Are, are you good at that personally? What's that? What What are you like? <laughs> no, we're rubbish. Um, uh, I, I kind of thought you might be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I think lockdown has certainly made that more difficult. We do have uh, we have two or three volunteers at the moment who like what we do. They donate their time and they possibly have the potential maybe next year or the year after to get more involved in what we do to start taking it on. Um, it's not a sexy field to work in, Mark. You know, um, if like, in, uh, funnily enough, all three people that I'm just thinking of, they're all women. You know, they're all young women. It's not a sexy field to come in and work in, you know, to say, oh, what do you do? Oh, I build toilets. You know, that, that's not a good opening line when you're trying to impress somebody, yeah. depending on what you're trying to impress. Mm. Um, and, and so it's not an easy thing to attract people to. But, uh, but you know, like, the impact is, is incredible. You know, like, and, and actually, um, like, you know, when you, if you talked, like, you are doing around the holistic impact that you can have on a community, um, that's massive. No, no, it's it's huge. But but you see, I I won't name names, but I can take you to places where organisations have built toilets. If you go back two years later, they have already fallen into disrepair and, and disuse. Mm. And that's a lot of, um, sadly, uh, a lot of big high percentage of international development, whether it's an orphanage, didn't need to be built in the first place and orphanages are not good for kids. Uh, in fact, they're completely damning or whether it's a school that um, actually never would ended up being used for a school. But there are a tale of woe where well-meaning people doing good, um, you know, actually it was waste or they did more damage than good. And no, I know and you, I... You, know, you got a different ethos. No, no, absolutely. And in fact, you interviewed Mark, didn't you, from Hope and Homes to Children? Yeah, Mark Cook, Commander Mark Cook, yeah. Yeah, so um, when we were down in Croatia, Mark was working down with Hope and Homes down in Chile, uh, Croatia when we, was, when we were delivering aid. And he's only, or they're only 20 minutes down the road from me, and we went to see them in the late, late 90s to see if there were ways that we could work together with what we were doing and what they were doing, and we couldn't find a, a way of doing it. But they do a fantastic job, and and I absolutely agree that to try and move away from the institutional approach 
product development. And like I'm a, if and I, I will tell you, I mentioned the the place in in South Africa where there is the largest construction of UDVTs. Now they're fantastic toilets; they work really well. If you say to, I'm not saying all, but to some of the people who have those toilets, what would you like? They will turn around and say, I want a flush toilet the same as the people have up the road. I want a flush toilet the same as the Western people have. Because that's the aspiration. Mm. But the problem we face is we have a world that is running out of fresh water. And I'll, I'll give you some stats which come from the Indian government. In 2018, they came out with a report that said... 2018, there were 600 million Indians suffering from water scarcity. By 2030, those same 600 million Indians will not have access to any water. 600 million. By next year, 21 Indian cities will have major water problems. And India is not alone. This is every country in the world, I'll say in the band, if you like, around on either side of the equator. But um, the problem with water is going to become more and more extreme. And water refugees will become a serious, serious problem. And we have to look at solutions that, that use, use less water and less resource full stop. Otherwise, we, we are creating for ourselves an enormous problem, and it will impact us here. And it will impact us here when we go to the supermarkets, and by here I mean the UK, but the Western world in general. If you go to the supermarket and you buy whatever it is you buy that comes from North Africa, or you buy it from South America or South Africa, and you've been used to buying these things, so you pretty much have the same diet, regardless of the time of year. Sorry, in the UK, that's not going to happen. If we don't do something significant in the way we approach this, we are in for a serious wake-up call. And you could argue that COVID has been part of that wake-up call. And it mm. depends how we respond to that. Yeah, Um Hey, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you so much for joining my podcast and really good to connect after all these years as well. And good to know that despite um, recent difficulty because of the pandemic, you guys are keeping on, keeping on. So well done to you guys. Yeah, well, thank you very much for inviting me, Mark. And on Andy's behalf and mine, he was briefly with us there. Uh, but <laughs> on my behalf, uh, thanks very much. And yeah, great work you're doing. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. I hope you like what you're hearing. Please subscribe and leave a review.